on 89.9 The Light, you're in conversation with Clayton, and it's an absolute privilege to have a chat to a, a man that I've been wanting to and hoping to chat to for a, a couple of years now via the wonders of Zoom. Morris Stewart joins us. G'day, Morris. G'day, Clayton, and thank you for having me, and g'day to your listeners as well. It's my delight to be on this uh, interview with you. Well, it's fantastic having you on. And some may uh, know of your story if they, they saw uh, Australia's story a few years ago and also perhaps uh, watched the documentary Song Keepers. Uh, we're going to be uh, talking a bit more about all of that and, and the remarkable uh, part that you have played in that too. Before we get there, tell us a little bit about your upbringing and uh, your life uh, before uh, you came to Australia. Oh, gee, I haven't been asked that question for a long time. I grew up in an ex-British colony in South America. It was British Guiana at the time. I left there when I was 17, almost 18. Uh, it later became the Republic of Guyana. I visited it twice in my adult life since then. But most of the time I've lived in the UK and, uh, and in Australia, although I did also spend two years in New Zealand, um, I went to an interdenominational seminary in the UK in the late 60s, 68 to 70, the London Bible College, and I worked as a youth worker, I worked as an evangelist, I've worked as a pastor, um, I've worked as a general, I don't know, stirrer and community activist. Um, I guess my guiding my guiding light has been a commitment to uh, the kingdom of God and its values, the rule and reign of God in our world. Um, I know that's a, a phrase and an idea that people make of it what they will, but um, I take it really seriously. And I think it's the word, words of what we call the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, yeah. So many parts of the church just concentrate on, you know, as it is in heaven for them personally. But I think the focus of Jesus' prayer was that the kingdom should come on earth as it is in heaven. And by that, I don't believe, I'm not saying that it's in formation. It's in. It's on a journey, you know. But I'm convinced that those who are who are compelled by a vision of the future will constantly want to draw it back into the present, and that is an exciting uh, enterprise to wrap one's life around. And yeah. I've tried to do that. I've tried to do that for most of my almost 76 years. Yeah. yeah, there you go. So so was faith a big part of your upbringing, Morris, or is that something that... that uh, well, church was, yes. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think when I was younger, I used to say, oh, it was church, it wasn't faith. But uh, I think my, my view has matured, I would say, broadened since. My parents knew what they were doing when they introduced us to church. And I'm sure that they were, that was all part of the formation in my own perhaps more Damascus Road kind of experience as a teenager. But then it might also have been, as I've grown older, a lot of teenagers actually make big decisions um, and sometimes not wise decisions um, at that time of their life. 
Um, I would like to believe that that was one of the wisest ones I made. But many, many things played into that. My parents' example, the adults around me, my peers in the youth group. And interestingly enough, a fellow by the name of Tom Skinner, who was a young African-American evangelist who was visiting our country. He was only 18 at the time, but he's a powerful communicator. And his vision of following Christ, I think, is what captured me. Yeah. Mm, there you go. Um, it seems like one of your other best decisions was uh, marrying your wife, Barbara, as well. And uh, you've certainly... You've said without that. A doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. Past 50 years of marriage, right? Uh, 54. Fantastic. Yeah, I know it is. And um, yeah, it's been, you know, we don't hold ourselves out as, you know, the sort of big paragon of success married couple. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful cake, but it's costly to bake it, if I can put it that way. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't exchange it for anything. Um, Barb is a wonderful person. She had a very different upbringing to mine. Um, she wouldn't mind me saying this, but her parents, her mother was married and divorced three times. Her father left. They were separated, divorced when she was three. She spent nine years in a convent from the age of under four, which must have been harrowing. And yeah, she's kind of suffered a lot, but she has brought up together with me four wonderful human beings. We have 10 grandchildren. She's an accomplished artist and an all round magnificent human being. Yeah. And uh, her story is a better than good news story in yeah. spite of, and uh, she would say a great testimony to her, to her faith and her trust in God and God's uh, walking beside her. Yeah. 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 Um, you, you both display um, artistic and creative areas so, <laughs> so well, as you mentioned, Thank you. For, 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 for Barbara, it's at the painting. Um, yeah. We want to talk about you and the singing in just, just yeah. a moment, but before we do you, you do have um, quite a heart for many people here in Melbourne as well, because you were a, a, a local church pastor for many, many Yes, years. I was. I was I was one of the pastors at Truth and Liberation Concern in Bayswater. Um, uh, it's, it's Bayswater Community Church um, for almost 23 years, and it was a privilege to serve in that community um, and to have a stake in its... Um, its growth, development, and survival, because um, it was one of those new churches that came out of the whole ferment of the late 60s and 70s, the Jesus movement, the sort of big social upheaval, and, and a lot of these new churches sprung up in that time and unfortunately disappeared after hurting a lot of people. Our, our church community they're going to be celebrating 50 years next year and we too have our history of hurting and our history of healing so it was both an exhilarating and a very costly and humbling experience to be part of that yeah. and to and to live through triumph and struggle and failure and yeah 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 um, the story of the church. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's a bit of a microcosm, isn't it? For, yeah. For so mm -hmm. many too. Um, mm -hmm. 
Morris, we, we obviously we're going to spend a fair bit of our interview now talking about uh, your love of music, of singing, of choirs yeah. as we as the impact mm-hmm. of it. Where, where did where did music and singing come from? Was that also part of upbringing, or was that well, it was in my home? Yeah, yeah. My we had a piano. I, I remember from a very early age, my brother who was six years older than me, and unfortunately no longer with us, was an excellent pianist, and um, my life was punctuated by five o'clock. Um, piano running the scales from my brother and I dreaded the time when it would I would have to do the same and it came (laughs) Um, but I was never as good a pianist as he Um, I probably had about I don't know maybe six or nine months of piano tuition a few months when I was 10 and another few minutes when I was 16 or 17 with the same piano teacher. But by then I'd probably progressed to, I don't know, grade three or grade four. And um, I've, I've loved music, I love the piano. I, I do seem to have developed a sort of an inner kind of, I'm a very good oral musician, I can read, but um, I just seem to have a particular facility with, um, I've listened to a lot of music down the years, you know, the European masters, the way Caribbean folk music is constructed with calypsos. And I think I learned a lot from that. I graduated playing the piano by ear, and that's been my, that's been my, my staple bass. I started, uh, I sung in a choir when I was 17, and I've always loved the idea of being in a choir, the sort of camaraderie. The, the choir is one, of, one sporting event where you only win if you cooperate and not compete. <laughs> and that's appealed to me. Um, but it was while I was at TLC and um, looking for ways of bringing music into the marketplace, like at Easter, Christmas time, and local shopping centres and so on. And I choose pieces of music that I, th- I thought would build bridges. You know, I think a lot of stuff we sung from, you know, musicals like Les Mis, for example, they just have that sort of that, that kingdom. Um, vibe to them and yep. lyric um, and it was people in the church who said yes but when you do those things you only choose the, the cream of the cream you know but, but what about the rest of us so I, I actually I remember one Saturday I said I'm going to name a Saturday it was in November I said I'm going to um, I'm going to invite anyone who can make a note who can tell the difference between their mother and their brother when they ring on the telephone. That means you, you, you could hear different tones, come together, I'll teach you some African songs. And about 60 people turned up and we had a fantastic afternoon and evening. And yeah, since then it's been like, well, why can't we form a choir? And it's just been like that. And when I was at TLC, I did form a choir, which did a number of amazing things, singing in the Black Winter Festival, singing at the Melbourne International Jazz Festival, singing in pubs, um, you know, it was a way of get, getting people who would never have that experience, either of performance or mission, being missional, to take what they were good at to share with others. So yeah. that's where it all began. Mm. Yeah. Wonderful. Absolutely mm. love it. Now, the, the part of the story we definitely want to tell mm. is, is, an, yeah. is a, 
in a way, a surprise choir that you ended up leading in, in one sense, especially surprise, for you. In surprise is the mildest word you can use. <laughs> it. it is just, you couldn't script this crazy idea of a group of middle-aged and older Af Aboriginal women from the central desert. And I don't know if you know anything about the central desert, but it is as far as possible as you can be, both geographically and and culturally and socially from the stage of the Sydney Opera House or the Kennedy Center for Performing Arts in the United States or the Wiesbaden Town Hall and Cathedral. Yeah. Go figure. Yeah, Go figure. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to hear the journey of how that choir ended up at performing at each of those and a whole yeah. lot of other places as yeah. well. On the way next with Morris Stewart, my guest here on In Conversation on 89.9 The Light. In Conversation with Clayton. On 89.9 The Light, you're in conversation with Clayton. Morris Stewart is my guest, and we've been hearing a bit of his life story so far, his love of music, uh, and we've got a, a most fascinating uh, conversation to have, uh, focusing a bit around what has now been put into a documentary called Song Keepers and also uh, featured on uh, ABC uh, with Australian Story Choir Master. Morris, um, let's talk through. So you talked about your wife, um, Barbara, who is a, a painter, and she always wanted to go uh, to the desert uh, somewhere in sort of you know central Australia and you said oh okay all right off we go and and so she went off painting and and here you are you know full of energy I think anyone who talks to you goes well Morris is larger than life in a sense he, he loves what life is about um, and what were you going to put your energy into tell us what happened well uh, you know the story's got so many aspects to it but look Barb had been coming out to central Australia and bringing people to sit down with Aboriginal elders in the central desert for a number of years. Um, and she wanted to spend some time painting the country. So in 2006, I had stepped off the leadership team of TLC for a few years. I started an initiative uh, development, uh, sort of lifting people out of poverty in Kenya. And it seemed to me we had a reasonable kind of hiatus where we could spend the four months in, in central Australia that she wanted to go and paint. So yeah, I went out with her on her painting soirees and sorties, but I also said, I'd like to see if people in Alice Springs might like to join a choir. It was only gonna be for that year. So I kind of walked around the streets and sometimes Barbara's there with me and we would just, I just approach people and, and ask them if they, do you sing? Would you like to join a choir? I'm in town for now. I've got this idea. Would you like to come and try it out? And were, were, were people thinking it was a bit candid camera or something? Some, uh, some yeah, I, know. I think they it. thought I was a bit crazy, but yeah. I, I really didn't care. I mean, how else was I going to do it? I, I, I like two months and I wanted to see if people would participate in this. And um, some, you know, a lot of people say I can't sing. And I, I'd, I'd sort of, could you do this? And they could copy it immediately at your end. So, um, <laughs> So the first night we had probably 35 to 40 people because the local network just clicked in and all these people turned up. Young people, exchange students from Europe and Africa, um, the, the multicultural community of Alice Springs was there. And not well, maybe one or two Aboriginal people because it, it, you know, of necessity, it was a kind of a Western non-Aboriginal kind of shape to think. And the choir just took off. It just blew up. And, um, and so we were asked to come back for another year. 
And I thought, oh, this is this is expensive, you know. I'm not the person of anyway. We came back for the next year, and then um, I remember one day an Aboriginal woman come, coming up. She said, "You you you're that chap who's been teaching all those white fellas all those African songs. You should come and do it with us as well." And I said, "Okay, yeah, sure, I will." Actually, from the very first year, I was working with a group of Aboriginal women who were singers in the Salvation Army and at the Bachelor College, which is a college that trains teachers and other people, tertiary people, um, Aboriginal people. Um, but this was the first time I said, okay, I'll, I'll come. And um, not very long after that, I went up to one community um, just south of Alice Springs. And I could tell that there was enormous potential just listening to them. Um, most people wouldn't because it was a very scrappy um, evening of music. It was all over the place, but I thought, these people, they've got something. So we actually worked and I said, would you like to come and uh, um, share this in Alice Springs where I was asked to, to curate a, an event called Desert Voice? And they did, and, and it's like they wanted to, but they're on stage singing, but their body language was kind of, do we really have to do this? Can we get off this place as soon as possible? Um, but it grew from there and other communities heard of it and they, they wanted to be part of it. And I remember when I first went, I, I said, okay, so you, you've seen me doing these African songs and you said, come and do them with us. Said, but what do you really want to sing? What do you want to do? And out came the hymn books. And you know, 100, 200 hymns in the Pitanjara language translated, some of them going back, one of them at least going back to the second century, the very foundation of, of, of Christian hymnody, Christian hymn writing, you know, um, you, know uh, you know, Hillsong, check it out. You know, that's where it began. Yeah, a, 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 a beautiful piece of music called uh, Hail Gladdening Light, which the choir sings in Pitanjara. Um, its title is Wal Kunila Pitalji Puka Irnyanjara. And it's an evening hymn. And yeah. I was just blown away by this. And the more I got working with them, I discovered that this story had depth, incredible depth and strength. There was a whole heritage and um, historical, in fact, apart from the Queensland choir, the Hermansburg choir is probably the longest continuous choir in Central Australia. So there's, re and, and nobody knew about, well, a few people might have known about it, but you know, the stories behind the heritage weren't known. And I was so excited about it. I said to the women, would you like to share this story? And so by then I'd been, I'd started running this festival in Alice Springs called the Desert Song Festival and um, yeah, showcased it and, and used it as a, as a tool to teach people about, about this culture and about yeah. this wonderful story that these women have been um, preserving. And then one of their pastoral workers said, I think the Germans might be interested in a tour. And I said to them, don't be ridiculous. Let's go to Adelaide first and see. <laughs> So we did go to Adelaide and they were astonishing. So 40 months later, we were on the plane to Germany. 
And, and maybe can you explain for people why Germany? Because there's a, there's a very clear link why Germany is yes, the place these, to go. These communities, they are Lutheran communities. They're, they're the product of connections between uh, German mission pioneers and, first of all, Western Islander people. And then they, that's another story within a story how the Islander people took the Christian message to other non islander speaking communities. It's almost like a Pauline, there was a fellow called Moses Jalkabotta, who on his donkey and wild blind traveled all across, across Central Australia, like Paul traveled across Asia Minor to take the Christian message to other communities. It's an incredible story. Yeah. So um, the connection, yeah, they, the connection was that the Germans wanted to invite them and the women wanted to take something that they had preserved, which, which maybe German Lutherans had even lost. They wanted to take back these, this incredible tradition of German theology, and some of it going back to the first century of Christian music, um, these Baroque and early Romantic tunes, and singing them in Central Australian Aboriginal languages. Now, this is unique. Nothing like this occurs anywhere else in the world or can be replicated. It's a unique tradition. It needs to be preserved and celebrated. And, you know, these women who all, they love country and Western, but when the boys went off into the bands, they said, no, we're going to keep this. This is important for us, yes. for faith, for language, for culture, for resilience, for survival. Yeah. And it, okay. that, that, that tradition carries all of that. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to take it back to Germany. Yeah, and it's wonderful, isn't it? This this mix of deep culture for many, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, yes. mixed with this, you know, 140, 200 years of history yes. of G German influence yes. into Australia and back. What, what was the response from those in Germany as they realised, well, hold on, um, you know, some of our ancestors had gone and then you were bringing it back to us. Uh, what was the That's response? That's exactly, I, 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 it was a, the most wonderful thing to see that unfolding before my very eyes. I'll summarise it because I know you've only got limited time. These women were the most incredible ambassadors for that heritage, for their communities, for Australia, for the whole history of since the late, uh, since the, the, the late 1800s, uh, as they took these back. And a number of Germans who said it was just amazing to hear tunes and things that have perhaps long recessed into their memories being brought alive through the agency of Aboriginal people and Aboriginal languages. And, you know, we worked hard on getting the music to a standard which I was a bit, I was a little bit nervous about taking music to Germany because those people, that, I mean, they're culture vultures and, yeah. and they know, but they just appreciated the whole thing. And there were people following us from town to town. It was astonishing. Just remarkable. So, yeah, they, they you know, they just felt... I remember one man saying, this is the most amazing evening I have ever spent in my life. Mm. Wow. 
that, that that's a high praise. Oh, it is. And another one saying, I, I'm not a Christian person, but I love the music and I found it very moving. And it's, yeah. I have to say, it touched me. Who knows? You know, there's a, yeah. a, a, a passage in the great conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, you know, as it tails out to an end. Um, the spirit blows where it wills. You hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going to. So it's not for us to sort of pause and work out <clears throat> the minutiae of how effective it was. I It was undoubtedly a work of the Holy Spirit, if I'm not being too overly spiritual no, for the audience, but um, it was a powerful work. And I often talk about it is the best about the human project, which is the best about the kingdom. And that's yeah. what they were doing. It was astonishing. Yeah, it's wonderful. I was going to ask you two parts. One sort of about the spiritual aspect, which you've just talked yeah. to. So let me ask you the second part too, which was about the, the understanding of Aboriginal culture. One, one of the, the quotes that I really mm -hmm. jumped out at me as I watched um, Choir Master was you said that we mm -hmm. hear a lot about how Aboriginal people die, but this is how yeah. Aboriginal people live. Could you just expand on that yeah. a bit more? Well, you know, the airways are full of the chatter. You know, you mentioned the word Aboriginal and any number of, you know, ignorant um, experts can tell you about grog and violence and domestic violence and this, that and the other. And they've never sat down and had a conversation with an Aboriginal person. Don't know a thing about it. I tell you what, it was the best band to travel with. You know, when bands go on tours, you hear about them all falling out and fighting and then they get up and make great music. Not so. The music was a fruit of who they are and were. And these women are the funniest people on earth. I have never laughed as much as when I'm traveling with them. Now, um, people would do well to look beyond the, the media stuff and, and some, of the, some of the hard stories, which are there, but that's what's happened to people. It's not what defines them. What defines them is this incredible humanity, which I'm proud of, that has colonized this continent for 60 or 70,000 years, or perhaps more, that lived through the Ice Age, that managed the nationalist estate, that survived the brutality of the colonial project, which ripped away their sense of who they were and their children, the massacres and all of that. And they still come up and reach out a hand and say, we want to build a future together. What amazing human beings, what amazing. And I think they, these, I think these, this choir has, has helped Australians to better understand Aboriginal people. It's shown them a way of being better Australians. It's provided a means by which they can make connection because they don't get up there and scream at anyone. And if they did, they would be fully entitled to do so. But they, they embrace people with who they are, with their sound, with their presence. Um, yeah, it was, uh, and, and it's not, it's very uncomplicated. They're not dazzled by the lights of New York or Washington, D.C. Oh, where we're we going? Oh, that place. Oh, I, I want to see the big, big apple. Yes, but they're not. You know, it's not like. A, it's not 
they're not goggled eyed at these experiences. Yes. They live pretty much in the moment. Yep. And uh, they, of course they love being on the stage at the Sydney Opera House, but they'd be just as happy singing in a pound camp in Alice Springs. Yeah. And, 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 they uh, give, and they would give exactly the same quality of commitment to either. Yeah. And as we said earlier, you know, there have been so many places around the world where they have now performed and it's yes. uh, it's quite remarkable, which is... It is quite remarkable, yes. Yeah. And yeah. For me and Barb, this is, I mean, this is a... This is a project that we didn't invent. We just re responded to an invitation. And it's just, it's been the most amazing blessing to a couple of, I guess other people would say a couple of old people in their mid to late seventies. Um, and it, there's no sign of it slowing down. I'm yeah. just hopeful that we all have the energy to keep it going, yeah. Well, that, that was going to be my final question. What, what is right. next? But it seems like it's still running up. My, my sense is, Morris, it doesn't matter what happens. Uh, you will find a place to sing and to share music and yeah. to have it bubble up and out of you uh, from everything that I can uh, understand of you. So uh, we do yeah. you know, hope that there will be more of these in the future. Is that, is that the plan? Well, I, my only plan, people might think this is, my only plan is to be open to the work of the Holy Spirit and the desires of the choir. Yeah. I mean, we all are. They have a very sense, very strong sense of purpose and mission. I mean, they've been invited to appear on some really funny places like, you know, Australian Idol. <laughs> or, or, no, no. Um, was it? Australia's got talent. I, I yeah. don't know. They've been invited to a lot of places and they have just looked at each invitation and if it doesn't accord with their purpose, they're quite happy to say, no, we, we don't want to be part of that, but we will be part of this. And they're very open to travelling throughout Australia, making our Aboriginal people proud, um, you know, conveying to the rest of Australia um, what it is to be a First Nations community and how important that is for Australia. They're very keen to reach out, you know, with their hands in reconciliation and sharing their language and culture and their faith, and to do it in a way that assumes that people will want to embrace it. Yeah. You know, wonderful. they actually assume that, you know, the audience, whether they be advocates or adversaries, with them yeah it's a correct. very reconciling work and i bob and i are just delighted to be part of it yeah yeah it's wonderful well morris we wish you all the best with the, the choir with, with the next things that do come along that thank god you. says this is what it is we, we thank you so much yeah. for your time today you're most welcome and it's been my pleasure to talk with you and your listeners Morris Stewart has been my guest. Uh, he's featured in the ABC Australian story called Choir Master and the documentary Songkeepers as well. This is 89.9 The Line.